Lucifer's Quest, Undoing Babel. This is the audio version of a book I set out to write towards the end of 2018 and which I published and copyrighted in January of 2019. This is not exactly that book. While we will follow basically the outline of that book, because it's a good outline, so much has happened since then that we will have to ad-lib and add a lot of information at different points during the story. I'm going to tell this basically as a story. You are welcome to look up any information you like, Google it, check it out, make sure that I'm right, grab your Bible, look up these things, be a good Berean, and find out if what I'm telling you is true. The basic thesis of this book is very simple, that Satan, as the god of this world, was really beginning to control people at Babel under Nimrod. And the people that he was controlling and the gods who were controlling him were involved in building a tower. This tower was a temple which would enable Nimrod, according to scripture and other sources, to fight against God Almighty. This got God's attention and God came down and he confused all of the languages of the world. It is my contention that probably next to the cross of Jesus Christ, this confusing of the languages and separating of the people into tribes and tongues and nations at Babel was the most devastating blow that God Almighty has ever dealt Satan. And it has been the job, the goal, the quest of Satan from that day on to reunite mankind with the ability to communicate one with the other and a single race, a single uh, group, a single nation with the belief that if he can do that, and when he does that, that he will be able to make war against the God of heaven, overcome him, and that he will therefore be able to remain in his position as what the Bible calls the God of this world, and that he will never be deposed. Therefore, all of history from the time of the Tower of Babel to this current day and even looking forward to the future all the way to Armageddon, we can follow this theme that Lucifer is seeking to unite people and the world into one group, one tribe, one language, one nation, and that even at the end at Armageddon, he will take this unified group and attempt to make war against God. This is my thesis and this is the theme of this book. We will divide this up into chapters and you will be able to listen for a little while each time 
adding on, or you may sit down and just binge and listen to the entire book at one time. I am going to record it one chapter at a time, and we are going to try for about 30 minutes, although it would be easy to go a few minutes over that, or even in some cases a few minutes under that. Anyway, let's go to the next chapter and sit down and enjoy the book. I'm Dave Rice, and this is Lucifer's Quest, Undoing Babel. Chapter 1, Incident at Babel. That which God has separated, let no man put together. As a child, I remember learning of the Tower of Babel in Sunday school. The artwork showed a sort of a circular, slightly crooked tower with a ramp as large as a road circling around it from the bottom to the top. It was unfinished, of course, and workers seemed to be hurrying up and down the ramp. I am not certain if those drawings were very realistic or not. I have found no description of the tower itself written by eyewitnesses who observed its construction, but it is probably as good a guess as any. Let us look at Genesis, and that's Genesis chapter 11, and we will start with verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used the brick for stone and the tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose will be impossible for them. I want to read that phrase again because I want you to get it. It's really key. Really, really key. Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language and this is what they began to do and now nothing, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I want you to notice quickly right now why... God separated the people into tribes and tongues and languages. He did it because by his own testimony, by the word of God Almighty himself, these people could do anything that they wanted to do. 
Now this tower was not just a tower, it was a temple, and it was a temple whose purpose was to unite the people and the gods together with the fallen angels and with Satan himself, and therein to make war against God and to defeat him. That's why they were building it. The Bible says it was supposed to reach into the heavens. Well, this may be an exaggeration, but in a spiritual sense, this was exactly what it was to do. It was to reach into the heavens. Now, I remember as a teenager how I would sit and listen to people, the men speak of World War II. It was a memory that for them would never fade. But to me, it was like ancient history, even though it had happened only a very few years before my birth. Now, if I speak with a friend about Vietnam, my children who are listening get bored. I grew up with that war on TV every night. In 1969, at 18 years of age, I joined the army. They sent me to Germany, not Vietnam, for which I am grateful, but I will never forget that conflict. To my children, it is just a very old story. The same was true as the people reached the plains of Shinar. The flood of Noah was now ancient history to the younger generations. Surely they knew the story of the flood. Some of their elders remembered it firsthand. They had heard of sin and what it had cost mankind, but it didn't matter now. This was a new generation. There were thousands of people now, and the vast majority of them had no memory of the flood or the days that had followed. They saw a rainbow and thought nothing of it. It was difficult to imagine a time when there was neither rain nor rainbows. It had been this way their entire lives. Now this was an exciting time. The place was new. Everything was new. There was work now. Everybody had a job. Barter was the thing of the past. King Nimrod had introduced money, and everybody had the new coins. There were stores where you could buy the food grown on the farms without even leaving your neighborhood. You could buy almost anything at the market. Everybody had Saturday off, and the clubs did a rousing business on Friday night. If you didn't have your own business, you could get a job building houses, or the wall, or the new temple. The new temple was a sight to see. The houses and the buildings were almost all single-story structures. The wall was high, and you could see it from almost anywhere. But that temple, wow, you could see the temple from anywhere. It rose higher every day. It was almost like a living thing. You could watch it grow. King Nimrod had told everybody that it was going to reach into the heavens where God lived. There was word on the street that King Nimrod was going to train an army and take it to the top, and there he was going to fight Jehovah God. Now that would be some battle. But then came Thursday. You didn't even have to say which Thursday. When you said Thursday, everybody knew which Thursday. It was like any other day. You woke up. You had your fried oxtail and goat milk for breakfast and left to go to work. What a scene that had been. You couldn't get to work. The streets were full of confused, frustrated, angry, and shouting people.
You went over and found your best friend, but when you said good morning and asked him what was going on, he looked at you like you were crazy. When he answered you, it was unintelligible, pure nonsense. You soon realized that the whole world had gone crazy. Returning home, you found you could still talk with your own family. All of your uncles and aunts and your cousins could still communicate, but everybody else had lost it. So you packed up your stuff and left town. There was no road and you didn't know where you were going. You only knew that you had to get out of there. As you were leaving, you found another family and then another who spoke your language. You formed a big group. Soon there was almost a thousand people in your group. You saw other groups, but there was this deep fear. You were afraid of them and they were afraid of you. When you came to the river, they turned one way and your group turned the other. The ground began to get drier, the sun got higher. The rains had stopped, but there was mud and water down by the big river. You pitched your tents by the river and planted your grain in the mud. Harvest had been a panic that first year. Just as they were beginning to bring in the grain, the river began to get bigger. You had never seen anything like this. It doubled almost overnight and then again and again. Soon all the land where the crops had been planted was under water. You had to move your tent five times that year, twice in one night. That was something you would never forget. But it was just an old story to your children and to their children. Now there was another big city. They called it the city of the king. There was a new temple going up. This one was different. It looked like the old pyramids that had survived the flood. Not so big or so grand, perhaps, but it was huge. They said that if they buried your new king in that temple, he would live forever. The king wasn't that old, but the building was huge, and there was a lot of pressure to complete it in the king's lifetime. Someone had named the new nation Egypt. That had a certain ring to it, Egypt. That was a good name. There had been the war, of course. That other group really liked your city. They couldn't even speak Egyptian, but they wanted to chase you out and take everything you had built for themselves. They had lost. You had known that they would. Now they lived in the slums outside of town. Now it was they who had to build the temple. Life was easier now. There was talk that the pharaoh, that was the word for king in Egyptian, was going to conquer the whole world and make everybody speak Egyptian. Then came a long line. Greece, Rome, the Ottomans, Great Britain, Nazi Germany, and now the United States of America. In every place and at every time, there was a madman and their followers who wanted to rule the whole world. Some of those people live in Washington, D.C. today. You get the point. Lucifer is always trying to undo what God had done at Babel. Chapter 2. Conspiracy History There are two competing views of history, the accidental 
and the conspiratorial. John 8.44 says, You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. As it was in the days of Noah, in the days of Noah, only eight or perhaps seven pure humans remained alive. The gross evil of those days was among the hybrids, not the humans. It is possible that the true believers in Jesus Christ are a part of a very small remnant of purebred humans that remain. Could that be why there is so much evil in the world? Is that why believers are cautioned to only marry other believers? Is it possible that a believer could marry into a Nephilim family and produce children who cannot be saved? Those are just questions. I don't have the answers to them. There are two competing views of history the accidental and the conspiratorial. Simply put, the accidental theory maintains that the build-up and the fall of nations' wars and their winners and losers, financial upturns and downturns, are all the product of unplanned accidents. The conspiratorial theory, on the other hand, says that there are wealthy and powerful men in this world who sit down and plan these things to their own benefit. These men, often referred to as the Illuminati, are above governments. They cause the conflict, sell arms to both sides, and offer the resolution to the problems that they themselves have caused, but always at a price. The conspiratorial view of history is the one that makes the most sense to me. It is bolstered by the existence of plans written up long before the events took place. One of the strongest is a letter from Albert Pike describing a vision which he penned in a letter to Mazzini dated August 15, 1871. This letter graphically outlined plans for three world wars that were seen as necessary to bring about the new world order and we can marvel at how accurately it has predicted events that have already taken place. Now, we do not have the original letter, but we do have multiple quotes from the letter which predate the First World War. This extract is taken from quotes found in documents which are dated prior to 1910. Liberals have protested that the letter does not exist. However, quotes of a non-existent document from several sources are enough to prove that it did exist, and the contents are established by the agreement of the quotes. Now I'm quoting, The Third World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agentur of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam, the Muslim Arabic world, and political Zionism, the state of Israel, mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations, once more divided on this issue, 
will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual, and economical exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provide a formidable social cataclysm which in all its horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, the origin of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization, and the multitude, disillusioned with Christianity, whose deistic spirits will from that moment be without compass or direction, anxious for an ideal but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out in the public view. This manifestation will result from the general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. End of quote. If you are up to date on current events, you will understand that World War III is forming exactly as the Masonic witch Albert Pike said that it would. Christians have long held a split view concerning biblical history and prophecy. My biblical education led me to believe that God had a plan that was perfect and everlasting. God knew everything from the beginning and he had everything under control. Lucifer, or the devil on the other hand, was some kind of bumbling fool who knew nothing and had no previous knowledge of anything. He simply bounced around, sort of reacting with knee-jerk reactions to the plan of God as it unfolded. A careful reading of the Bible will tell you that indeed God does have a plan, but far from being an ignorant fool reacting in knee-jerk fashion, Lucifer has understood God's plan from the Garden of Eden and has planned and continues to plan ways to defeat Jehovah and remain the God of this world. I believe that the conversation between God and Lucifer recorded in Genesis chapter 3 was much more involved and detailed than we would understand from the short version. It is easy to believe that the version in scripture is a short synopsis of a longer event. At any rate, while he certainly did not understand every detail, Lucifer seems to have come away from that interaction with a clear view of the overall plan of God. He began immediately to plan and to work to disrupt and ruin the plan of God. It is true that the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. But it is deeper than that. Back in Genesis 3, God had told Lucifer that he would put hostility between him and the woman, and between his seed and her seed, and that the seed of the woman would strike his, or Lucifer's, head, and he, Lucifer, would strike the heel of the seed of the woman. This is a strange promise. Neither in the Bible nor in secular literature do women have seed. Women have eggs. Men have seed. We also do not think of angels in general, and Lucifer in particular, as having seed. Here we have the seed of the woman, 
in mortal conflict with the seed of Satan. We know that Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman, but who or what is the seed of Satan? It was not long after that that the sons of God came down to the daughters of men and in unholy matrimony began to create a hybrid race of lost and unredeemable creatures known as Nephilim to students of the Bible, the mighty men of old known to the Greeks as the Titans. By the time of the flood, the only pure 100% humans left on the planet were Noah, his wife and sons, and perhaps two of his three sons' wives. Can you see a plan here? Lucifer would someday be defeated by the seed of the woman. What if there were no humans left? With no pure humans around, the promised seed could not be born. There were Nephilim tribes even in the promised land. The fear of them sent Israel roaming in the wilderness for 40 years. Lucifer had the baby boys killed when Moses was born and, and again at the time of Jesus' birth. Can you see a plan? Today we are playing with DNA. Scientists around the world are creating human-animal chimeras. Transhumanism has become a major field of scientific research and they plan openly for what they are calling Man 2.0. Do you see a plan? Scripture is very clear that there is no salvation for Nephilim, hybrids, or chimeras. If Lucifer can rewrite the DNA of humans, he can, re, he can create a race of immortal beings, beings that God himself cannot save, beings that will worship Satan as God. Is there a plan? Is there a mark that makes one cease to be human. God commanded the Israelites to go into the camps of the Nephilim and kill every individual. Scripture indicates that they failed to do so. Nephilim skeletons, giants with strange skulls, six fingers and six toes have been found in Europe and in the Americas. We know that the Israelites did not get them all. Are the seed of Lucifer still among us? We understand that while all the individuals in the Nephilim tribes carried the angelic gene, not all of them were giants. Scripture indicates that those who carried the gene were not human and could not be saved. Could it be that the giant gene died out, but the Nephilim gene remains? Do the seed of Satan walk among us? Do they even outnumber us? as it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, only eight or seven pure humans remained alive. The gross evil of those days was among the hybrids, not the humans. Is it possible that the true believers are part of a very small remnant of purebred humans that remain? Could that be why there is so much evil in the world? Is that why believers are cautioned to only marry other believers? Is it possible that a believer could marry into a Nephilim family and produce children who cannot be saved? These questions are designed to make you think. As a matter of fact, the purpose of this book is to make you think. And the purpose of these tapes are to make you 
think. You are not required to answer all the questions, only to open your eyes and see, open your ears and hear, open your mind and think. Satan has a plan. He is undoing Babel.